0: That. There's a lot of other things in there. We're going to be looking at, um, dare I say, the three kings, because we'll talk about whether I believe what I'm about to say or not in a minute. But uh, this morning we are looking at three somethings. And we're coming to the end, as Mimi said before, we're coming to the end of our series, A Christmas Carol, and uh, we're going to be. Finishing off with uh, these three kings or the, the wise men, let's just leave it at that. In the beginning of this series, we, we started right at the beginning looking at the shepherds. We talked about how the angels came to the shepherds uh, recognizing that these the shepherds were the lowest part or of the low part of society. They weren't really highly recognized as intelligent because they, ha- they, were, they were spending time with sheep. Um, we know that's not necessarily true, but that's how society regarded them. And uh, so, so out in the fields, the the shepherds were looking after the sheep. And by the way, um, I know that we have talked about this this series. But December the 25th, one of the reasons we know with absolute surety that Jesus was not born on on December the 25th is because the sheep and the shepherds, let me get that out, were in the field. The December in the country where they are, in Jerusalem around that, is generally so cold and full of snow, the sheep would not have been in the field at Christmas time, our December 25th time. They would have been packed away um, and out of the snow and out of the cold. So. There's, there's one major clue that it was before the winter snows set in that they were there. So December 25th is probably not, it really doesn't matter, by the way, what date Jesus was born on, and as we've spoken about through this series, I think it's intentional that we do not know because we're not to worship the day, we are to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We spoke about that on Christmas morning. So the shepherds came, not for the educated necessarily or not just for the educated. Jesus came for all people, the lowest through to the most educated of all. All can receive him, all who believe in him. John tells us that he gave us the right to be called children of God. So it doesn't matter from what part of society we've come from or our background, even what we think our future might look like, Jesus came for you and I. We started the series right there. We then took a look at the spiritual battle that was taking place in the carol's silent night and realized that in the spiritual realm at the very least, it was not probably so quiet at all. There was lots of things going on where we talked about the seed that was that Satan wanted to destroy right from Genesis three, right through to the book of Revelation. We took you on a little bit of a journey that week as we looked at the not so silent night um, message. Then uh, we looked at our life of obedience, and uh, we talked about our faithfulness. Um, We talked about the joy of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, and Psalm 98, as we looked at that on that morning, uh, the 22nd, and uh, the fact that Christ is not um, this baby that we worship, but he brings joy, and we worship, and uh, the Psalm shows us not why we are to worship, but how we are to worship sorry, not, not how we are to worship, but the fact that we are to worship. And we talked about that. Then on Christmas morning, we looked at uh, Away in a Manger and realized that, and hopefully it wasn't a surprise to you, but Jesus was Lord of Lords. He was the little Lord Jesus right from the very beginning. He wasn't, uh, that wasn't a name given to him as he got older. He, he always has been Lord, he always is Lord, and he always will be Lord and it's not whether he's Lord of your life because he is Lord of your life, it's whether you allow him to be Lord of your life that we talked about that on Sunday on mo- um, Wednesday morning, Christmas morning. So that brings us this morning to the last of the carols that I wanna look at in We Three Kings, not because I believe there were three kings, by the way, because I do not think that there were necessarily three kings. There may have been, but it's. I think it's more unlikely that there were three than there. it's likely that there were three, but because chronologically in the Christmas story, this doesn't really fit into the Christmas story all that well. If it's after the story, and judged on what we read from Herod and things later on, you will find that the wise men or the magi who came from the east, or traveled eastward and found that followed this star, were probably finding the Lord Jesus when he was a small toddler. Um, I I kind of wish uh, little Josiah was here because Jesus was probably about Josiah's size and age, capabilities. So when you think about that, Jesus isn't in a manger when the wise men find him. In fact, we'll read it this morning. He was in a house and he's not this little baby wrapped up in swaddling clothes, he's this little toddler who is probably getting into all sorts of mischief. And I believe Jesus would have kind of got into little bits of mischief. He, he was human being as much as he was God himself. And these wise men, these magi came and they worshiped him. And it would have felt, maybe it felt awkward, maybe it didn't but I'm just putting myself in their place at the moment thinking it's almost awkward to kneel down before this little toddler. It's much easier to kneel down in front of a baby than it is to to see a a toddler. Now, I'm not saying they didn't do that because I think they did and we need to worship him whether he's a toddler or he's a baby or he's a grown man because Jesus is Lord, he was Lord and he always will be Lord and we worship him regardless. We need to realise that. So we, we find that these magi came probably 12,80 months after the birth of Jesus Christ. And um, we read that because, we know that because of what Herod talks about in wanting to kill the, the boys under the age of two. So we'll come to that in a minute. Now, whether there were three kings or not, is not what I really want to dwell on this morning. What I do want to think about, I believe there were three of something. And I believe there were three different hearts or three different attitudes that were displayed or on display in this story, in this whole idea of these these three wise men or these three kings. They did bring three gifts, by the way, and uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh which is a whole nother story and a whole nother sermon perhaps demonstrating um, the life of Jesus and what Jesus was and who he will become and all those things, but for this morning, um, there are three things that I want us to look at and it's three different hearts or three different attitudes and to do that, I wanna turn to Matthew two and I said to you on Christmas morning that the whole of the Christmas story is contained within Matthew and it's contained within Luke. The other two gospels don't even mention the birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew's story of the birth of Jesus is summed up in two verses. Basically it says, Joseph and Mary came to Bethlehem, and while they were there, she gave birth to a child named Jesus. That's what Matthew basically says about the birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew does, though, however, go on and talk about what happens 18 months or so later when the wise men came. It picks up much more of the story at that point, and that's why we're looking at uh, Matthew chapter two. And for those that are filling out their little sermon notes, um, the first one is a stubborn heart um, or a rebellious heart. We'll get to that in a minute. So Matthew two, verses one to three, we're going to be um, looking at that. So now, after Jesus is born, in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, I, I may need to just do a little bit of an explanation just briefly for a second. Herod is king. We probably realize that. He's known as, in the history books, you'll read about Herod the Great. This is Herod the Great. He's not, his name is not so much Herod as Herod is the title. It was a lot of Herods and they were, um, Herod the Great was the first of them and so it's more of a title than a name but we know him by Herod. Um, He was known for doing lots and lots of building and if you wanna do it, get into his history a little bit, you'll find that he was, Actually, some think he was just a bit mental, um, and he, he was really a wild character. He would have these fits. Some would even say that he was schizophrenic, but he actually would get really mad at something. In fact, he killed um, three of his sons, I believe, two of his wives, because they looked like they might have been uh, going to attack him in regards to taking over his kingship. Um, I read in part of this preparation in five days before Herod died, he killed his oldest son so his oldest son wouldn't get the kingship. Um, He was not a nice man. He was some, anything, if he was your best friend, you'd better watch out for your head. Um, And and he he had this reputation. In fact, I think I've told you one other time that um, in his will, he actually had written that on his death, all of the priests, all of the rabbi were to get together, and they were to bring them together and kill them all. Because otherwise, when he died, he was fearful that no one would remember him. And fortunately, they didn't follow that through. Uh, we remember Herod for a much different reason. But he, he would go and do these stupid things, and then to make himself feel better, he would build stuff. And there's lots of stuff that were built during... Herod the Great's time. Um, there's the expansion of the Temple, uh, temple Mount, um, the construction of the port at Caesarea. He, he did lots of those sorts of things and he's known for that. Um, but he's also known for his temper and his short, temp, short temper. And uh, so when the wise men come and said who is he or where is he who has been born King of the Jews, you can imagine how Herod might have responded. And that's why in Matthew 2, 3, it says he was troubled. I think that's an understatement in light of what he then goes and does. But it says also that all Jerusalem with him, which is interesting. On the outside, he seemed calm and collected to the wise men, but on the inside, he was burning with hatred and anger. Not because he didn't like Jesus as such, but because This was a a boy who was challenging his kingship. On the inside, he was burning up. On the outside, he was this nice guy. Who does that remind you of? Most of you are thinking instantly the wolf in the Little Red Riding Hood, I know. Uh, (laughs) No? (laughs) No? By the way, Little Red Riding Hood is a good illustration of Satan as well, but that, we're not talking about that this morning. No, he, Satan prances around, looks good on the outside, evil to the heart. The serpent in the garden. The scriptures tell us that Herod was troubled along with all of Jerusalem. And it goes on in verse four, and it says, and when they'd gathered, or he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Then quoting from the book of Micah, they said to him in Bethlehem, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah for out of you shall, be, shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So what Herod does is secretly calls the wise men back into his throne room, finds out for himself when the star that they had followed was first seen and then sends them off to Bethlehem to find this Christ child or this king that was to be born and he says, "Go and sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child and when you found him, bring back word to me that I might come and worship him also. We know that wasn't his intent. We know that's what he told the wise men, and we do believe that that's what the wise men went off believing. They were fully intent on coming back to visit the king and tell him where the baby was. If you were Herod, it seemed, you could do almost anything. As I said, he he killed, his he murdered his wives, his sons, and this man had so much authority in his culture at the tip of his fingers right at any point in time, but it seems, doesn't it, it seems weird to me, it, I think it will seem weird to you that he is so threatened by the birth of a baby. Here is a man who who has so much authority, so much control, and yet he is bothered by the birth of a child. Although the child might become king, this is a baby. He has a long time before he's going to become king in that sort of sense is what he's thinking. So he says to the, the wise men, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him also. But of course we know he's lying he wants to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. Just have a little time out for a second. There is a strong parallel right there between our world and that part of the story. Our world perceives it has so much power and so much authority, and yet it is terrified at the name of Jesus Christ. So much so, it wants to take Jesus out of our schools, out of our education side, right across our education, out of our workplaces. He, they, the world wants to destroy Jesus Christ. There is such a strong parallel right at that point in time in the story of what Herod did and what our culture is currently doing. I want you to think about that when you read the news, you listen to things that are going on. This is absolutely in line, a principle that has been laid down before. So what does Herod do? When he realizes the wise men are not coming back because God had told them in a dream that, that they were to go and not go back via Herod, they were to go back home another way, he had all the male children come, or under the age of two put to death. Now how long was it between the time he realized they weren't coming back, we don't know again. and That's why there's a bit of discrepancy as to how old Jesus may have been. but. 12 to 18 months I think would cover that. And so he has the boys in Bethlehem and its surrounding regions. Uh, remember, Bethlehem is not the major city. Uh, Jerusalem is the major city. It's about eight kilometers away to the north. Bethlehem is, is a tiny little place and it's, it says in scripture that Herod took the boys of Je- Bethlehem and its surrounding regions who were under the age of two and put them all to death, hoping to get rid of the baby that was the king of the kings. Two years later, Herod himself dies, by the way. He probably thought he was in charge and invincible, the way that he acted, but Herod's heart represents a very hard, calloused, and undivided heart in this negative sense. He really was. He, th- he thought he was in charge. What he didn't know, that he himself was actually subject to the baby that was born in a manger that he so desperately wanted to get rid of. And I just want to add that into what I said before. What our world is unaware of is that itself is, is absolutely under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, even today. We do not need to fear. We don't need to worry about What's going on in our society? Our concern needs to be for our own heart and and to for the heart of those that we love and the those that we know. We need to be talking about that. So Herod dies. And he was subject to this little baby just as much as, um, well, Jesus wasn't really just a little baby. He was the Lord, as we know. But he was subject to him, even though he didn't realize it. And that's one of the struggles that we have in our society, I think, where people say, like, I'm in charge. They might not use those exact words that I'm in charge of my own life, but they do say things that I can do things my own way, or it's my life, you can't tell me what to do. Um, I've heard those things, you've heard those things. Excuse me. I can do what I want. And that was what Herod was saying, and and when he died, he died with a stubborn heart. By the way, each of the um, three hearts that we're looking at this morning, I've, I've taken a bit of um, poetic license and they all start with the letter S, you'll find that out in a minute. Stubborn or um, this heart that was absolutely unwilling to, to bend. I've heard people say, I'm not gonna submit to him or submit to anyone. Just leave me alone. And the sad fact is that unless the heart is dealt with, unless the hard heart, whether it's your heart or someone that you know's heart is dealt with, Jesus will let them have their own way. He will. Scriptures tell us that. If that we are unrepentant, if we are rebellious or stubborn of heart, God will not force himself upon us. He will allow us to have our own ideas in our own way, but the problem is the results or the consequences of that are also at our own peril. We need to know that. We might think we've got away with it for a little while, but we are all subject to the Lord Jesus Christ, just as Herod was. And those that die with a stubborn or rebellious heart will die and spend eternity in a Christless eternity. That's not a very good thought. It should bother us that there are people like that. The second heart, and this is a little bit of poetic license, I guess, but the so-so heart, and I, and I kind of came in, because it's kind of this indifferent kind of heart where, you know, eh, so-so, doesn't matter. That kind of heart, there is this This heart that says, you know what, that's happened, but I've got my own thing to do. And there is a heart in our society that is just like that. You see this kind of heart in the heart or in the lives of the scribes and the high priests who are part of this. They get called in before Herod and they actually knew where this king was to be born. If they were true to their name, and I believe they were, they should have already known when he was to be born because Micah actually tells us and uh, some of what they quote came from Micah, so we know they probably knew that it was about time that the Messiah would come. But wouldn't you think, if you were someone of a learned man like that, or learned men, and they knew where Jesus was to be born, they knew the scriptures, they, they were the ones who had the responsibility of, of copying the scriptures so that there were multiple copies of them and they had to do that with an immense amount of accuracy. Wouldn't you think that if that was the case and they heard these men who had traveled from the east say that they had followed a star and asked where the king was that they would have at least thought, wow, let's go and find out for ourselves. But they didn't. They didn't even bother to travel the eight kilometers or so to find out if this was true or not. That's why I think they had this indifferent kind of heart, this so-so heart. It seems that the more that they knew, the less they cared. And I, again, I think even though they knew Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem, even though that they knew and heard that his star had been followed, They weren't willing to make that trip to to Bethlehem to find out if it was true. And God had apparently revealed to these wise men something that these Pharisees and scribes were unwilling to acknowledge. It wasn't that they didn't know, they just didn't care. They had all the information laid out for them. They had the, the, the scribes had all the scrolls before them They could find what they want, they were the learned men of the generation, but it didn't stir them at all to make any change or bring any excitement to them in their life at all. In fact, when the scriptures tell us that all Jerusalem was troubled, it's likely that even the scribes were worried about it. That's a shame, that's that's a problem. A child was born in Bethlehem who was called the king of the Jews. Don't you think, that if you knew that that was the case, and you heard the same things that these wise men were saying, that you would at least find out for yourself? You say yes, you would probably. But I wonder, because there are a lot of people living in our culture who know exactly what the scriptures talk about, who know exactly what they should and shouldn't do. They'll even quote you scripture back at you sometimes, and yet they still don't care. We have them in our society, a so-so heart, an indifferent kind of heart. For whatever reason, the Pharisees and scribes didn't want to go there. Their hearts were indifferent, and uh, as I said, these represent the people who've heard it all, Who've been through it all, perhaps, who have grown up in knowing things, but who've rejected and really don't care about it anymore. A person whose heart is on hold for the time being because, you know, it, you can tell me what you like, but it's not going to change the way that I do things because it's my life and I can do what I want regardless. I used to work with a guy like that. This, this guy, we, I, he and I were the only ones that would work on a Saturday morning, and Saturday morning was kind of like this, this quieter time of the day, quieter time of the week, and uh, we'd, we'd open up the shop at about seven o'clock, and first thing, he'd, he he always called me Reverend Ron, even before I was ordained, but it was always Reverend Ron, and so go and, put, go and put the kettle on, Rev and so we would put the kettle on, we'd sit down in the lunchroom, and we'd make a cup of coffee, and he would sometimes, not always, sometimes have a piece of paper he would pull out of his pocket, and he would begin to ask questions, not questions that he was interested in hearing an answer to, but questions that were designed to make me look like a fool for believing what I believed. Um, He was very proud of the fact that he had read the entire scriptures. Uh, He had read the whole Quran. he told me. So he read multiple Bibles, and uh, they all disagree with each other, and uh, the Quran, so everything that you believe is wrong. That was the conversation we would probably have sometimes, unless we had someone come into the shop, that could go on for quite a long time. An indifferent heart, a so-so heart, a heart that even though he knew all the stuff, and he did, he had no intention of changing, and I think there are many people in our society who are just like that. He was indifferent, people are indifferent to the message and life will go on for them unless something happens. Maybe there are even some here this morning who may feel a little bit like that. That what I'm saying, you're hearing what I'm saying, but you're not really listening because it doesn't really make any difference. You can believe what you like. You can do what you like. The word of God means nothing to you because you've kind of been told everything anyway, and so you've come to your own conclusions. Maybe there are some here like that this morning And the last thing in the world that you want at this point is to become committed to something that may or may not be in your mind something you want to do that to, commit to. It's not that you're really antagonistic toward this kind of thing. It's just that there are other things to do. There are more things important to get worried about and concerned about. It was the heart of the scribes and Pharisees that was like that. Theirs was an indifferent heart, or this so-so heart. The sad part is that we live in a world that has a heart that is indifferent to um, the things that are going on around us. We, we see the evidence of God. Romans tells us that the evidence of God in it is, is everywhere, and yet we write it off. We're indifferent to it, even though we may or may not even understand that at the time. The sad part is, our heart, if our heart is indifferent, we will not find a home in heaven again. The third heart that I wanna to speak to this morning is the one of the wise men and it is the seeking heart. They'd seen a star in the east and that, which drew them along and this was no ordinary star. You need to know this, this was not one of the stars that you see in the sky at night, it was different. How do I know it was different? Because how many of you, and I'm thinking you've all done this, you won't admit to it probably, but how many of you have tried to follow a star along the ground? It just doesn't happen. I mean, you try and do it, but you're walking and and before long you're over the backwards here. You can't travel by the stars except if you wait until it moves and then you move. it's, It's not like, This star is not like that, and I'll show you why in a minute. This is no ordinary star. And the wise men knew that it was no ordinary star because it drew their attention. These are magi, Uh, magi could have been magicians, Uh, we'll talk about them. Um, It's possible that these wise men could have been related to or at least associated with the magicians mentioned in Daniel back in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter two. It's, it's not out of the question, I think it's probable. King Nebuchadnezzar is speaking to people um, and he's speaking to these guys referred to as magicians. Daniel was one of them. Um, but there was magicians, astrologers and wise men. It's likely or possible that these wise men came from Persia which is where Daniel was. So they could very well be of the same ancestry, same group of people. If that's true, then that gives us a clue as to why they would have wanted to follow a star. Because in Numbers chapter 24, this star is mentioned. And they would have known that. It was prophesied by an unlikely character, a guy by the name of Balaam, who was actually set out or sent out to prophesy against Israel. Balaam was contracted by Balak who was uh, to, to curse the Israelites because he was the king of Moab at the time and the Israelites were standing on the boundary line wanting to pass through Moab. They didn't want to stay there, they just wanted to pass through. And they sent message in and, and he refused to let them come through. Um, ultimately uh, they had to go around and then ultimately God got rid of them. But they're standing at the entranceway and so um, ba- Balak talks to Balaam and says, come and prophesy against these people there. There's like this horde of a- a- armies sitting around us about to annihilate us, which they weren't. So Balaam comes and I'm not gonna go into the whole story but his donkey tells him what to say basically and, and God speaks through Balaam and Balaam finds himself not being able to prophesy against them but for them. And this is what he says, in Numbers 24, in the, in the process of trying to curse the Israelites, this is what Balaam, uh, Balaam says, I see him, capital H, but not now, someone who's coming, I behold him, but not near, a star, capital S again, shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. Now these wise men, came from the east in expectation because they knew of that prophecy. They came to investigate for themselves some of these things that had been told them. We don't know much about them. We don't know, as I said, that there were three. We don't even really know that they were kings. We sang three kings, but it doesn't mean that they were kings. We know there was more than one. So it's not that there was only one because it's plural right through the scriptures. Wise men, not wise men. So we know there was more than one, but we don't know that there were three. But here's the point they were willing to travel perhaps more than 1,600 kilometres, 1,000 miles if you're old school still, but at 1,600 kilometres or so to find out if this was true because this star led them on their way. And I, I believe this is the heart that you and I need to have this morning, that whatever, wherever, whatever we've come from, nothing should stop us from getting to, where, to the investigation side at least of what this is all about. Something else we need to really note here is that the star did not lead them to Bethlehem not directly anyway. I think that's kind of interesting because it tells us if you read the scriptures that the star came to rest over Jerusalem. That's why the wise men came to Herod because they're thinking all of this. And somehow, we're not told where or when, but somehow the star disappears at this point because it says later that the star reappeared. So at some point it disappears while they're talking with Herod And I believe that the reason that it came to Jerusalem first was to give Herod and the scribes and the Pharisees the opportunity to respond. I really do believe that. I believe that God does not just write people off because they've got this stubborn heart or because they've got this indifferent kind of heart. He will create every single opportunity possible for us to respond to him and I believe that the star coming to rest or, or leading the wise men to Herod, at least, was one way that God actually opened up the door for Herod and these wise men to actually respond positively. They didn't, we know they didn't, but it got, they can't say they weren't warned or they weren't told. It was their choice at that point in time. Both of those parties were given the opportunity to respond. It was in Jerusalem that the Old Testament scriptures were opened, and it was there that the wise men told and shared their experiences about where the child was to be born. And so the wise men go to Bethlehem, and the scriptures say the star reappeared and led them to Bethlehem, which, by the way, is only eight kilometers or so away. It's not an ordinary star. Something is significantly different. And as I bring this series to a close, I want us to consider something. God never bypasses his word when he wants to give people guidance. He always utilizes his word. And if you are talking to someone or dealing with someone or trying to share with someone, don't try and do it from your head your word is full of everything that you need. It will defend itself. It will be your guide. And God never bypasses his word when he's looking or when people are looking for guidance. And we need to accept that. And we need to think about how intent these wise men were in trying to get to their destination. And they represent the heart of someone who is earnestly seeking. Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen says, if you seek me, sorry, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And it's this determination and searching with all of their heart that led them to the feet of Jesus Christ. The first thing the wise men needed to overcome was this issue of distance. They probably came from Persia, we said 1600 kilometers or so away, but they, they, they probably made their journey in, in about a year. Most would estimate it probably took them a, the better part of a year. And that's why when Herod asked them, when did you first see the star, they were able to pinpoint the time, and that's why he put these children that are two years, or boys, two years old and, and younger to death because it would have been around about, they said, oh, probably, or probably exactly, two years ago or whatever, and he would have put those children to death so that he knew that he got them. Verse 11 in uh, Matthew chapter 2 says, when they came into the house, not the manger, they worshipped him. Mary and Joseph stayed in Bethlehem after Jesus was born for at least a year, maybe more than that, um, because that's when the wise men find them and the wise men were not at the manger. So, again, I'm, I've ruined your Christmas. I've ruined the nativity scenes. The star came a couple of years later. Even our, our lights out here are wrong. We probably shouldn't have lights. Uh, we probably shouldn't have Christmas. Uh, oh, that's the grins coming out in me again, isn't it? I'm sorry. Yes, we should. I don't think we get hung up on all of that sort of stuff. I'm not saying we should get hung up that, but realistically, the wise men were willing to travel a thousand miles or more, probably mostly at night, about which something they knew very little of except to investigate why and what if. And yet there are some people in our society who will not buy a Bible Or download a free app. They will not go across the street to go to a church. They won't listen to anyone about Jesus Christ, and yet these wise men were willing willing to expend energy and time over months and months to check out who this Jesus was. That's one barrier they overcame, and I think it's a barrier that some of us need to overcome. How far am I willing to go to find Jesus? Secondly, I think they, they had to overcome their race and their religion. These men were Persians. Persia, Persia had its own religion. It was more like an, the, an occultism of form, of form. And they could have said to themselves, we're, we're born Persians. This has nothing to do with us. Uh, just let's leave it. But they didn't. And perhaps even this morning, there may be some here and says, "You know what, I, I, I'm just born somewhere in another culture. I, this has nothing to do with me." In fact, there could be some here that says, "You know what, I was dedicated in a different church, so having nothing to do with this this church or this thing, because you know I, I'm a I'm a whatever." And we put ourselves into those little things. I was brought up in my own religion. I put up, I do my own rituals and and I do all that. I'm gonna die in that religion. I've heard people say things like that. I want you to hear this, this is not about religion at all. It's not about a denomination, it's not about religion. Jesus came so that we could know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why he came. He came that all might know He even told us that we could ask the father directly anything that we need and he will answer us. We don't need to go to the pastor or a priest and ask them to pray on our behalf because we can pray directly. God wants an intimate love relationship with every single one of us that is real and personal and he desires that more than anything in the world. If these people were Persians, which they're likely to have been, they overcame this barrier of race and religion, what is the business of accepting a Jewish king, this little toddler, as Jesus would have been? Why would they leave their religion to do that? The question that we need to ask ourselves, why would I leave my beliefs? Or religion. Is there something about this that I need to just investigate for myself? Jesus is not just King of the Jews but Jesus is King for everybody. He's, he's our Lord. We talked about that on Wednesday. Maybe you came from a different race or a different background or different culture from different religions. And if Jesus is the son of God, there is nothing that we should want to stand in the way of truth. And just as these people overcame their barriers, we need to look at what's stopping us from trusting God. Don't allow your background, your own religions, your own religious upbringing, your own family history to keep you from seeking out who Jesus was. Don't just trust people what they've said on the past. Dig into it for yourself. So came distance, race, religion, uh, second to last, pride. We're gonna do this really quickly. And uh, sometimes when we read the Bible too quickly, we become very familiar with it. And, and most of us could fall into that category, I'm sure you've read that story and you know and you read over things. We become very particular, they said, the Bible says that when they came and they saw Jesus, this is talking about these Persians, It says that they saw the child and they fell down and they worshiped him. Can you imagine the scene at that point in time? Jesus is being worshiped as this little toddler. Here's the thing, if Jesus is king of kings, we should be here to worship this morning. And I wanna finish with this. They overcame their selfishness because opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's a whole other lesson there. The gold being fit for a king, frankincense used by priests, myrrh used in the, um, was part of the sacrifice as the burial, Don't you think it amazing that these wise men somehow knew or were aware or God inspired them in such a way that they knew what gifts to bring? And I want you this morning to consider what sort of response Jesus causes you to have. Is it a response of stubbornness or indifference? Is it a a response... rebellion. Are you troubled by the fact that Jesus is the only way to God, that there should be many ways to get to God? Are you troubled by the fact that there is no other way other than to approach him? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the mediator between God and man. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except by Him. Can I encourage, <clears throat> excuse me, can I encourage you this morning to to think about your heart, to work on your heart, maybe even work through your heart in, in that attitude, if that's you. If you have this attitude of rebellion or this attitude of indifference, to simply say, you know what, if... If Jesus is who he claimed he was to be, I want to at least stand with the wise men and I want to discover this for myself. And I'm prepared to dig into his word and follow it wherever it leads me and not to be settled until I find the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's essentially what these wise men did. Along the way, others were drawn into the, into the picture. And along your life, you will have others that you will, be draw, will be drawn into your life along the way as well. But maybe you need to work through that heart and stand with him and then come to the realization of who he is and bow down and worship him for yourself. Maybe it's you this morning that needs to worship him and love him. We get to receive an eternal gift. And that's the message of Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. It's not a baby in a manger, it's not some wise men, it's not even the angels. It's this little Lord Jesus who wasn't, didn't remain as a baby but came for a purpose of seeing all men drawn unto him. We come to adore, we come to worship, we come to honour him, and we come to thank the one who can save us. And as we sing this morning, uh, we've got a song coming up called I Give You My Heart. If you have never, ever, ever received Jesus Christ into your life at all, can I suggest that you work at overcoming your barriers? It may not be time, it might not be distance, it might not even be race and culture, but it could be, it may be some other things. You need to say to yourself, I'm not gonna use excuses anymore. It doesn't matter what my friends think. It doesn't matter what my family has told me. I I want to discover this for myself. And today, this morning as we sing, I I would like you to, to welcome the Lord Jesus into your life for the very first time. And bow before him with the wise men and adore him let me pray with you. If there are people here this morning who who really do recognize their need to deal with this heart, then I'm asking you to make a response. It will take courage, it will take boldness, but I can promise you that it will be the best decision that you will ever make. And so no matter where you are this morning in your walk, of finding this out, let today be the day where you make that decision fine. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word, I thank you for the lessons that, that are in this passage and there are many, many more, but we thank you for the opportunities that are before us this morning. And I know that there are some here who struggle with barriers of all sorts of kinds, all sorts of things, Father, That that hinder us from taking that step of faith. We wonder what people will think. We wonder what will the outcome be. We wonder what we'll have to give up. We wonder what we'll lose. And Father, all of those things may very well be the thing that hinder us from entering into the kingdom of heaven. So I do want to pray for this this body of people this morning here. For those that are here in this building, those that may be listening online, I pray this morning that we might have the opportunity to respond. And now, Lord Jesus, speak to our heart. Help us to have the courage to say yes to you and to honor you